thank you so much for Matt. I thank you for um, his, his yes, his really incredibly generous yes. And so, God, I, I pray that you would bless him. As you've already done, God, would you continue to bless him? Would you bless the, the desires of his hearts, the things he dreams to see and experience? God, would you pour out to him in, in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, God? I just pray for, um, for his, his children, God, that they would continue to know the, the love of an incredible heavenly father, that they would um, follow you all of the days of their life. I pray for Belinda as she's on her way home now and all of the resettling in. God, would you bless her as well and bless them as a family as they, as they really demonstrate what it is to give, to live generous lives, to, to give of themselves to others, people that they don't even know. God, I pray that you would bless them and that they would know an incredible blessing in, in all areas of their life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lyndon. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's so, so, so nice to be here. Uh, as Lyndon says, my wife Belinda and I came up last night. Uh, we've been actually teaching a mental emotional health course all week down in Hamilton. We do 11-hour days, and we've done that all week. And so I'm, I'm physically exhausted. And uh, I, I actually, I'm not a pastor, uh, so you don't have to call me Pastor Matt. I'm just some guy who sits at the, my local vineyard church in Christchurch. Uh, so just Matt's fine, or, or Bishop Matt is also fine. Um, Pope Matt has a ring to it as well. But um, yeah, I, I get to speak in different types of uh, denominational churches and all sorts of different styles. But man, it's after a big, long, challenging week, it's lovely to come home to a vineyard church that I know well. I know the flavor well. Uh, for example, I wasn't at all surprised to see what happened during the worship uh, to make room for the agenda of the Spirit of God is the most important thing. I'm used to that, and so that wasn't weird for me. That was beautiful. Um, <laughs> it's cool. I, I know as well, because I speak in different churches and, uh, and, and my own church, that sometimes the words I'm speaking uh, go completely, they just leave, they just leave the building. And, and I talk to people afterwards, I know this, because I talk to people afterwards and say, what did, what did you learn? They say, oh, that was really good. What, why? What did, you, what did you hear? What did you learn? And they say something that I never said. And so I know that God's been up to something nice. I know he doesn't waste an opportunity. And so I trust that God will speak to you uh, this morning. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I got to speak at Bay Vineyard, which is a newer vineyard church down in Napier. And one of the cool things about this new church is there's not a tremendous amount of transfer growth, meaning uh, people aren't joining that church. It is growing, but they're not really joining from other churches. They're just getting saved into the life of the church and the community. It's beautiful. Uh, particularly a lot of uh, gang members and ex-gang members. And so it's a, it's a really amazing vibe there. But one <laughs> I was chatting to a guy after the service. He comes up, says, man, that was really good. Thanks, bro. And I said, oh, thank you. Cheers, man. What did you get out of it? And he said, wow, it was pretty powerful. I, I learned, um, don't judge a book by its cover. And I went, yeah, I can't remember speaking on that. And he goes, no, 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 when you came in, I, I thought you were some homeless guy. <laughs> you turned out to be the preacher. <laughs> so that was pretty special. Now, 
Uh, Lyndon asked me, he said, uh, no, when you're coming up to church, like we're doing a series. We just started a series talking about the names of God or the names of Jesus. Would you mind um, talking about that? And I said, oh, I've never spoken on that before, but I'd really love to. And so I've spent the week racking my brain, reading my Bible, thinking on it, praying on it. And, uh, and this is where I've landed. I'm actually going to be a bit greedy this morning. And I'm going to steal three of the names of Jesus because Jesus kind of runs them together himself. When he refers to himself in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ever read that one? Jesus' own claim about himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, these may sound like three completely different names of, of God, of Jesus, but actually, uh, they are very, very much intertwined and related. For example, that word truth we would typically, in the Western world, in our Western education system, and the way we're brought up with Western philosophy, we would typically understand that word to be, you know, a synonym, perhaps with the word fact. The truth is the fact. And in the Bible, sometimes the word truth does get, uh, does get that usage. For example, in Deuteronomy, if you're a judge in Israel, the Bible says, the law says, uh, if there's an accusation against someone, Go as a good judge and investigate. Find out the truth. In other words, investigate the facts. And so the Bible does use the word truth to mean fact, but it doesn't stop there. The Bible, uh, about half the uses of the, of the word truth in the Old Testament do not mean fact or fiction. It actually has a different meaning, one that we haven't used for a while. don't know the last time you saw an old Western movie. But sometimes in an old Western movie, they talk about uh, it's an old gun, but it shoots true. That's a bizarre saying, isn't it? It's an old gun, but it shoots true. It's nothing about fact or fiction. What's it talking about? It's talking about the trajectory of the gun, of the bullet. You know, an arrow can fly true. You can be walking true north. And in this scripture here, and half the uses in the Bible of the word truth, truth is not about fact or fiction. It's about trajectory. It's about orientation. And in this verse, of course, Jesus is saying, I am the orientation of the Father. I am the pathway to the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you're looking for the Father, just follow me. I know exactly where the Father is. I know where God is. And so just follow me. And so Jesus here claiming he is the pathway to the Father. If you know me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what John 14, 9, just a few verses later says. Now, I don't know if you've heard about the Azusa Street Revival. Anyone heard of that? It's kind of the origins of the Pentecostal movement around the world. But uh, one of the earliest preachers at Azusa Street was reading John 14, 9. And it says there, as you've seen, Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he cobbled together his own theology and he said, oh, look at this, everyone, look at this. And he started to preach on it. And he said, Jesus is saying here, he is the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're the same, Father and I are one, right? And he actually began uh, within Pentecostal movement a bit of a heresy, which call, they call it modalism. But it's the idea that the Trinity is not three in one, it's just one in one. It's just Father, Son, Spirit, and, and, and they're exactly the same person. And they're not in any way separate at all uh, or distinct, which, of course, is a heresy. 
Uh, most of the world's Pentecostals, believe it or not, actually believe that. I know we don't. I know the Vineyard Movement really well enough to know we didn't buy into that one. I know that we've read the, uh, the baptism of Jesus. What happens at the baptism of Jesus? The Father speaks. The Spirit descends. And so we see the separation, but three in one. Uh, and the, there we have the idea of the Trinity. So while the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, we know that through Jesus, He is the way to the Father. And if we encounter the character of Jesus, we encounter the character of God. He's the way, He's the truth, He's also the life. He's the way to live well. Jesus answers our needs. He cares about our needs. And so I want to talk about that. I uh, am big into psychology. I study theology at, at Bible college, but I've uh, got a huge interest in psychology and in sociology, and I do a lot of reading and listening to podcasts. Uh, enough to know that human beings that have been studied throughout the ages have a series of common emotional needs. And I believe that Christians, although we go to God and to Jesus for our salvation, there's actually other things that God offers for us. Psychological needs that God would love to meet in you. For example, uh, we talk about belonging. And this is one of our biggest emotional needs that Jesus has an answer for. Ephesians 1.5 says, uh, Paul's talking, and he says, through Jesus we get to be adopted into the family of God. Through Jesus, he is the way to adoption. The Bible says that God sets the solitary in families. And look at you, you're here, you're in a family. We don't always see eye to eye on everything, but we're a family nonetheless. My wife and I have run 28 free marriage seminars now around the country, all the way from Invercargill uh, to here. This is the most northern marriage talk we've done, and it was last night. And I wonder if you know how friendly you are. Do you know how friendly you are? Like, this is the, out of 28 different evening marriage seminars, this is the, the most rousing welcome we've had. This is, last night was the most people coming up afterwards and thanking us profusely and saying they enjoyed it and giving us a smile from across the room. And you're a very friendly bunch. You're a lovely community, family to belong to, and that is Christ, the head of the church, and you are the body extending his love and belonging and welcoming to others. So good on you. This is what Jesus does in your midst. It's stunning. Well, belonging is not our only uh, emotional need that's been identified. We also have this huge need to feel innocent. In fact, sociologists who've studied every kind of, um, uh, uh, what are they called, just civilization around the world, tribe and civilization, have discovered that they always throughout history, no matter where they are, have a system, the right word is mechanism, to feel innocent again. They have someone to blame or some ritual to do, but the Bible is very, very clear that our innocence doesn't come through ritual. It doesn't come from blaming other people or blame shifting. It doesn't, claim from, it doesn't come from claiming to be perfect. We don't need to do that. Why? Again, because of Jesus. The way, the truth, the life. The way 
towards innocence. And so we read in 2 Corinthians that God made him who had no sin, talking about Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, if it wasn't there on the, on the page, I wonder if we'd think it was heresy. If it wasn't right there in the Bible, it just sounds so outrageous that we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It sounds too good to be true, but that's the free gift of God for us. We don't have to find fault in others for us to feel innocent. In fact, comparing ourselves in that way was a game Jesus never let anybody play. I hope you're not still playing it. I hope you're still not looking for fault in others to feel innocent. You just don't need to, eh? God's made a smarter way. Progress. How does the world see progress? Well, it sees it in financial terms. It sees it in terms of a housing market. It sees it in terms of a bucket list that you get through. But Jesus shows us the way to live and to live fully by blasting that out of the water. In fact, to one guy, he said, just leave it all alone and come follow me. There's a better way. The way that Jesus showed us to get a sense of progress, the right sense of progress, really was in sanctification, in becoming more and more like God. And so we read in Luke 2 that Jesus uh, increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, and that's what we're supposed to be doing, caring more about our progress in terms of character and Christ-likeness. I wonder, through this last season of COVID, through the lockdowns, I wonder if you're becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus. I wonder if you're still growing in the fruit of the Spirit or not. Are you becoming a more generous person? Even if your income's going down, I wonder if you're becoming a more generous heart, more open with hospitality. I wonder if you're becoming kinder I wonder if you're becoming a better listener. I wonder if you're becoming more open, less judgmental. I wonder. But this is progress to God. God cares so much about your character. I guess that's what shows the world what God's like. And so when you hold on to a grudge, you don't show the world what God's like. But when you're gracious, liberal, with your forgiveness, boy, oh boy, do you just scream to the world what God's like, to a world that is getting more and more excited and, and looking forward to who the next person we're going to cancel is. But what a shock it's going to be in a few years when everyone's into cancel culture and the church isn't buying into it at all. It just continues to give the grace that God endows us with. Safety. Now, safety is an interesting one. Uh, you know, when psychologists talk, they say it's our biggest emotional need. So Abram Maslow and everyone since has talked about we have to, as human beings, feel safe. Safety in the Bible, it's, it's an interesting topic. I mean, some people seem to think if you're a Christian, nothing bad will ever happen to you ever. And that's your safety. Sounds like a pretty cool gospel, doesn't it? If only it worked. If only Jesus didn't promise the opposite, which is that if this terrible stuff's happened to me, it'll happen to you as well. And so what, is, what does Jesus teach us about safety? What is the life of safety he leads us into? Well, it's this. 
that though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear. He's with you no matter what. He said to his disciples before he left, guys, you've got, to under- you've got to get your head around this. I'm going, but though that I will be with you even to the end of the world. I'm gone, but I'm not gone. I'm, I'm, leaving my, I'm sending my spirit to be here with you. And so I think perhaps one of the most profound stories for this in Scripture is when Stephen gets stoned to death outside the gates of Jerusalem. And I've been to the spot where that's happened in the Middle East, but, but in, that, in that moment, God's right there with him. And that's a weird kind of safety, isn't it? I guess it's a safety that understands that we're more than just a physical body, more than just a physical body, that this is not the end of the story when we age, when we are killed, that's not the end of the story, there's more. That God comes to renew our life. And, uh, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a hope. So we don't have to grieve. We can grieve, but we don't have to grieve as those who do not believe. Lastly, I want to say that a huge emotional need for us as human beings, everyone everywhere, Christians included, is significance. We need to feel loved. We need to feel valuable. We need to feel valued. And what Jesus does so beautifully is not just tell us we're loved, but proves that we're loved. Because while we were yet sinners, he died for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Have you ever read that? He didn't just do it for our sake, he did it for his sake. God wants to spend eternity with you. If you want to skip to the answers in the back of the book and go to Revelation and read that, he's looking for a bride, an eternal bride, and it's you and it's me. He takes joy in redeeming us, not just for our sake, but to live with an eternal bride. You put a smile on the face of God. When you spend some time with him today, why else would God keep knocking on your door? during the day, saying, can I come in? What are you up to? Why are you so busy? Why haven't, why haven't you talked to me for a couple of days? Surely you can drop. Why would God do that if he didn't enjoy your company? Can we be people who respond to the heart of God? You know, uh, St. Augustine used to say, you've made us for yourself, O God. Our hearts remain restless till they find their rest in thee. And every good evangelist since has talked about how there's a God-shaped hole in every heart. And I, I totally agree. I, I say amen. But you know, the true story of the Bible from the start of the book to the end is that there's not just a God-shaped hole in our hearts, but a U-shaped hole in God's heart too. That's restless and searching until we come home to him. Jesus is awesome because he, one of the, you know, back-to-back parables, parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, to show us that's true. Talks about Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've sought to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't have it. And we see the pathos, the emotion of God. Jesus reveals the passion of the Father for his kids, for you and for me. And if that's not a basis for your self-worth and significance, I just don't know what is. God would rather die than be without you. That's the message. Of Jesus. Now I know you can go on living with 
God is your salvation. And then you can go about trying to meet your innocence, your progress, your sense of significance and, and innocence and, and progress. You can, you can try to meet these needs elsewhere. We couldn't afford to send the great prophet, uh, Dr. Phil, here this morning. But I know what he would say if he was here. He'd say this, how's that working for you? If it, <laughs> he says it in every episode, doesn't he? How's that working for you? You say you're a Christian, but you're still trying to impress everyone to get your worth out of them. You're still looking to your performance to feel good about yourself. You don't need to do that. What a waste of a life it would be to live your whole life in search of something you've already got. Can I just end by saying you're loved, so loved, so valued. The fact that God would rather die than be without you says something pretty special about you. I mean, there's only two conclusions, aren't there? That God would stand at the door of your heart and knock and want to come in. Either God's crazy, deluded, or you're worth pursuing. The fact that God values you means either God's crazy and deluded, or you're valuable. God loves you, so either God's crazy or you're lovable. And I think we can rest in that. And I think there's, there's offerings God has for us in terms of the way we live, in terms of the life we live, in terms of the foundation our worth is built on, uh, that God would love us to feel more sturdy. And that's all I've got to say. Thank you. Wonderful. Why don't we stand? Do you guys want to come up? I think we should do that last song. Is that all right? The one that you've got prepared for the... That's your, whichever one you want to do. I thought we had an end one. But what I'd love to do, why don't we all stand as well? What I'd love to do is be a man of my word. And I said every week for this next eight-week series, we're going to open up and invite um, you to respond. And whether this is the first time you've been um, through the doors or you can't remember the last time you weren't here, um, each of us have the opportunity. The, the thought that I had at the beginning of this series was again that picture of a diamond that has just got so many different facets to it. And, and one is more beautiful than the next, more beautiful than the next. And we've already seen it already. Like from think about last week to then again this week, how beautiful is Jesus? I know a couple of us up here think so. I don't, no, but like really, like, like haven't you just been kind of taken aback again? Like hasn't, hasn't some of the stuff that Matt said just again, like it's almost been, like we, we were just praying this morning, like that familiarity and, and, you're, and yet if you're presented with it again, you say, oh yeah, that's why I love him. Man, I knew he was good, but wow. Do you know? So what I'd love to do, these guys are going to lead us in a song, but in, the, in this song, what I'd love you to do is if, if, you are, if your heart is just pounding out of your chest right now and you just think, man, I've just got to do something to respond, and, and, there, and you can respond in so many different ways, but 
for here for now, let's just say the response is getting up out of your seat and where you're standing and coming forward. And there's nothing magical about a really dirty blue carpet, which has really bugged my OCD all morning that needs to be vacuumed. But so you can come to a dirty old blue carpet, but there's something about responding that honestly, I really, I totally know that God is going to meet you there. There's something about that physical thing that, that he's going to meet you there and, and he's going to show you again that he's actually not crazy. You know, that you are so lovable. That you are so worth the relentless pursuit that he has, he has always had for you. That God is still pulling up his robes and running past everyone. Who cares what it looks like? Who cares what people are going to say to run to you? No matter how filthy you feel, no matter how bad your theology is, is why you're even here, he doesn't care about that. He cares about you. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care what you've said, who you've hurt. He cares about you. And as he runs to you and embraces you, you become who you've always who you always were. The everything he has for you. So if that's you now, just come forward. And then what we're going to do is we're going to sing and and as we sing, maybe someone's just going to come and all they're going to do is put a hand on your shoulder, if that's okay, and bless what the Father's already doing, what the Father always wants to do. So, Father, I thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, we thank you that you are so good, that you are so kind, that your love just sets us on our heels when we actually take the time to think about it. And for those of us right now whose hearts just feel like they're pounding out of our chest, God, I pray for courage. Courage to respond. Courage to trust that you actually are not crazy and that there is something that you see in us that is so lovable, that is so precious, that is so good, that is so valuable. everything else falls away.